So our next speaker is Elder Kim B. Clark. He's a, he was sustained as a General Authority 70 of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on April 4th, 2015. He served as Commissioner of the Church Educational System. He was the Dean of the Harvard Business School. He served as President of BYU-Idaho. So with that uh, uh, impressive bio, we're going to turn the time over to Elder Clark. Thank you very much. I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak to you today. I'm not only grateful to be with you, but I am grateful for all of you who seek to help people strengthen or recover or restore or establish faith in Jesus Christ and his marvelous work in our day. I wanna to begin today with a story about Charlotte, my granddaughter, who is seven years old. Charlotte loves to read. And in recent months, she's fallen in love with reading the Book of Mormon. Before the schools were closed, she would take the Book of Mormon in her backpack and read it in the bus on the way to and from school every day. She also loved the Book of Mormon stories for children. One day, she came to her mother holding a copy of the Book of Mormon stories for children and asked, Mom, did these things really happen? Her mother looked at her and said, Yes, Charlotte, they really did happen. Charlotte's question is a wonderful question. Did these things really happen? It is not only a question about the events and people in the Book of Mormon, but it's a question about the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice and resurrection. It's a question about the first vision and about the call of the prophet Joseph to be the great prophet of the restoration. It's about Moroni and golden plates. It's a question about the translation of the Book of Mormon by the gift and power of God. And it's a question about living prophets and continuing revelation in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As President Russell M. Nelson has taught, we need to seek powerful, enduring answers to Charlotte's question and all of its corollaries. This is a pivotal time in our lives and in the Lord's true and living church. The prophet has invited us to transform our homes into sanctuaries of faith and centers of gospel learning. He's urged us to stretch beyond our current spiritual ability to receive personal revelation, warning us that in days ahead, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. These invitations are a call from the prophet of the Lord to rise up and do better and be better. President Nelson has said, we need to do better and be better because we're in a battle. The battle with sin is real. The adversary is quadrupling his efforts to disrupt testimonies and impede the work of the Lord. He's arming his minions with potent weapons to keep us from partaking of the joy and love of the Lord. Answering Charlotte's question, and responding with energy and focus to President Nelson's call is a journey of faith in Jesus Christ and in our Heavenly Father. I'd like to share with you today something of my own journey of faith and what I've learned about Jesus Christ, about faith in Him, about testimony, and about the joy of redemption. I want to share with you two stories many years apart. Story number one took place in southern Germany. I'd been on my mission for two months, 
it had been a difficult time, and I was very discouraged. The language was hard, and we'd been rejected and ridiculed and cast out many times. It felt like we were under attack. People had argued with us on points of doctrine, told us we were from the devil, and much worse. I felt the temptations and whispers of doubt about what I was doing. One morning, I knelt in prayer and told Heavenly Father of my troubles. It was a heartfelt prayer of real intent. I said to him, Heavenly Father, please help me. As I prayed, I heard a voice as distinct and clear as though someone were standing right next to me. The voice said, believe in God. I asked my companion if there was a scripture that said, believe in God. He sent me to the Book of Mormon. Mosiah chapter 4, verse 9. I sat on the bed and opened the Book of Mormon and read the inspired words of King Benjamin. Believe in God. Believe that he is and that he created all things, both in heaven and in earth. Believe that he has all wisdom and all power, both in heaven and in earth. Believe that man doth not comprehend all the things which the Lord can comprehend. As I read those words, I felt as though King Benjamin were speaking to me. I felt the power of the Holy Ghost in my heart. I knew this was the answer to my prayer. My prayer was, Heavenly Father, please help me. The answer sent me to the Book of Mormon, where I received two messages. The first was, these are my words. This is my book. It's true. The second message was very clear. Believe in me. I know all things and I have all wisdom and all power. Trust me. So that is what I did. I decided to get up, eat breakfast, pray, and go to work. And keep praying and going to work every day. The trials and challenges did not disappear. And there were times ahead when I would feel attacked again. But I knew what I had heard, and I knew the message was from the Lord, and so I trusted in Him. That experience was a pivotal moment in my life, but there would be more. Here's one from many years later. It's about the armor of God. It took place at a very difficult time for me, for my wife Sue, and for our family. We faced significant challenges and setbacks in our lives, especially in our family. It felt like we were under attack. It felt that way because we were. I was plagued by unsettled feelings, doubts about myself, and temptations to take counsel from my fears. It was a hard time. One night, I had a terrible nightmare. I woke up feeling great anxiety that did not leave when I was awake. I got on my knees and I pleaded with Heavenly Father for help. As I prayed, words came into my mind that I knew were scripture. For we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities, with powers, with the rulers of the darkness of this world, with spiritual wickedness in high places. Thankfully, I went back to sleep. When I got up in the morning, I looked up the scripture. I had not remembered that it is part of the Apostle Paul's great statement on the armor of God. This is what I read. 
Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The message that morning was clear. Put on the whole armor of God. No chinks, no gaps, no missing parts. Now, Sue and I were active in the church. We served the Lord and we sought to raise our children in righteousness. But the Lord called us to rise up, to do better and be better. With that message, the Lord put our journey of faith onto a steeper trajectory. At the heart of that journey was this invitation from Moroni. And now I would commend you to seek this Jesus, of whom the apostles and prophets have written, that the grace of God the Father and also the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, which beareth record of them, may be and abide in you forever. This invitation comes with a promise from the Lord that I know is true. Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. Seek me diligently, and you shall find me. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search with all your hearts. I want to share with you today what I have learned about seeking and finding the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm going to share did not happen all at once. Beginning those many, many years ago, the Lord gave us line upon line and precept upon precept. Over the years, we've learned that small and simple acts of devotion open our hearts to the Lord and invite the Holy Ghost to minister to us. We've made these simple things the framework of our lives, and I want to share them with you. I'm going to speak about six small and simple activities, but I've organized them into pairs. That's how I think about them. They are companion activities. So these are small and simple acts of faith and covenant devotion. The first pair is prayer with real intent and feasting on the words of Christ, especially in the Book of Mormon. Praying and studying the scriptures are companions. As Elder Robert D. Hales once said, when we want to speak with God, to, to God, we pray. And when we want him to speak to us, we search the scriptures. When we began this journey, Sue and I prayed together and individually and with our family morning and night. We read the scriptures every day. And yet, the Lord taught us that we needed to do better. In time, we learned to pray with more gratitude, with greater faith, and with real intent to do what the Lord wanted done. We felt the Lord nudging us to pray more often and to pray about everything, as Amulek taught and we had a prayer in our hearts. In fact, there were times when we prayed vocally and in our hearts all day long. We pondered more, reflected more, and spent more time in the scriptures every day, studying them, keeping a scripture journal, and really feasting on them. We learned to prayerfully dig deeper into the scriptures than we had ever dug before. Revelations came as the Lord guided us and blessed us. It really was a feast. The companionship of prayer and the scriptures became more meaningful and more powerful. 
and they've become crucial elements in the framework of our lives. The second pair is daily repentance and partaking of the sacrament. President Nelson has taught, nothing is more liberating, more ennobling, or more crucial to our individual progression than his regular daily focus on repentance. Repentance is not an event, it is a process. It is the key to happiness and peace of mind. When coupled with faith, repentance opens our access to the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. The Lord's call to Sue and me to rise up meant that we had to change things in our lives. We had to repent. The Lord taught us that we should always be asking ourselves two questions. First, what am I doing I should stop doing? And second, what am I not doing I should start doing? Now, these questions lead to daily repentance. In the first place, the things we're working on take time, and daily attention to them is important as we turn away from old patterns of thought and action and turn to the Lord for forgiveness, for his redeeming power, and for his help to create new, more righteous patterns of life. Second, we are subject to temptation and we make mistakes. We say things we should not say or fail to heed a prompting or do things we should not do. Daily reflection on the day and daily repentance helps us catch those mistakes before they grow into something far more serious. Daily repentance is a gift of protection and spiritual power from the Lord. Now, daily repentance may sound daunting, even discouraging, but repentance is not a dour doctrine. As President Nelson taught, it's liberating and full of hope. I testify this is true. Repentance is not a distant doctrine in my life. I have felt the joy in daily repentance when my focus is on Jesus Christ. In those moments of reflection and change, I see what I need to do, and I try to do better. With the assurance of the Holy Ghost, I feel stronger, and I know that with the Lord's help, I can do better and be better. The ordinance of the sacrament is a wonderful companion to daily repentance. Soon I've always loved to partake of the sacrament, yet as we began asking ourselves those two questions, and as the Lord taught us, our experience in that sacred ordinance changed. The sacrament became more a time of love and gratitude for the Savior and his atonement and resurrection. It became more a time of reflection on our repentance and of renewed covenant making. It became a time to seek the Lord and to find him in healing power and personal revelation. In the ordinance of the sacrament, we look back on the daily repentance of the week behind and forward to what we need to do in the week ahead. These companion gifts from the Lord are central to the framework of our lives. The third pair is ministering to all and worship in the holy temple. Ministering is a beautiful principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Savior said, Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We minister in our families, 
making our home sanctuaries of love and faith and centers of gospel living. We minister in our assignments to our brothers and sisters and in our callings and to our neighbors and friends, inviting all to come and feel the Lord's love and enjoy all of his blessings. We minister to those on the other side of the veil through family history, that they might also enjoy the blessings of salvation and exaltation. In all these opportunities to serve, the Lord has called us to minister in a higher and holier way with his love and with his power. When we seek revelation and then go and do the work, we find the Lord goes with us. We take upon us his yoke and he works with us and through us to accomplish his glorious purposes. As we seek to minister to all, we find Jesus Christ, for that's where he is. He ministers to all, and he calls us to join him in his work. The ordinances and covenants of the Holy Temple are a powerful companion to ministering to all. We minister to all so that they may walk the covenant path and receive their temple blessings, and as often as they can, be in the presence of the Lord in his house. If they keep their covenants, they will be armed with his power, his name will be upon them, and his glory round about them, and his angels will have charge over them. Of course, these also are our promises and our blessings. We minister to help others go, but we also go. In fact, we go so that we can help them go. We go to the house of the Lord to serve and to worship as often as we can. We go to claim the great and precious privileges and promises the Lord has given us. The temple is a house of prayer, fasting, faith, learning, glory, order, holiness, and revelation. It is a house of miracles. It is the house of the Lord, and we'll find him there. These three companions, prayer and the scriptures, daily repentance, and the sacrament, ministering to all and worship in the Holy Temple are small and simple things, yet they bring great blessings. These small and simple acts of faith in Christ work together in a marvelous, even miraculous way. The Apostle Paul taught the Ephesians this principle. Speaking of our day, he wrote that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. This surely applies to the continuing restoration of the gospel in the Lord's true living church. But as Elder David A. Bednar has taught, it also applies to us individually. The power of the Savior's gospel to transform and bless us flows from discerning and applying the interrelatedness of its doctrine, principles, and practices. Only as we gather together in one all things in Christ, with firm focus on, upon him, can gospel truths synergistically enable us to become what God desires us to become and endure valiantly to the end. With Elder Bednar's statement in mind, please take a moment and see in your mind's eye these simple things as interconnected and standing as a whole. Can you see what they really are? 
These acts of covenant devotion are very simply the Lord's work of salvation. I know he connects and unifies them in him. If we do these things consistently and diligently, we're doing the Lord's work. Well, we have to do them every day and every week, every month, as often as we can, and we have to do them with faith in Jesus Christ. But if we do, we open our hearts to the Lord and qualify for the ministry of the Holy Ghost. The Lord's work of salvation becomes the unified framework of our lives. It focuses our lives on Him. We pray in His name, feast on His words, turn to Him to repent, remember Him in the sacrament, minister with His power and love, and worship in His house. His work of salvation frames our lives, providing structure to our days, our weeks, and our months. The plan of salvation becomes the way we see our lives. It becomes the lens through which we see everything around us. The work of salvation and the Father's plan inform everything we do at home, at work, in the church, in the community. My dear brothers and sisters, I bear witness of Jesus Christ. He is the living Son of the living God. I know that seeking the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer and the scriptures, in daily repentance and the sacrament, in ministering to all and in the house of the Lord brings great, great blessings. If, he, if we seek him with all of our hearts, we will find him and we will hear his voice. His love, light, and power will flow into our lives. He will sanctify us, heal us, change our hearts, and lift and strengthen us by his mercy and his grace. We will do better, and we will be better. And the work of strengthening faith in the restored gospel will go forward more powerfully than ever before. I so testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Elder Clark, for that wonderful talk. I know I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you spending time with us today uh, to, uh, uh, to give that fabulous message. Again, I have my, hear my earphones on so I can hear you without having the echoes of the room. Uh, there are some questions I've received that I'm going to read to you. And the first one says, how important is a literal belief in the historicity of the Book of Mormon as opposed to reverencing it as an allegorical text? So my feeling is that um, the Book of Mormon is what it claims to be. And faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his restored gospel means that we believe exactly what Joseph said it was. If, if you reverence it as a sacred text, but don't believe in its historicity, you essentially deny its origin. And as Joseph said, and so I think it's absolutely essential to, uh, to the kind of robust faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his restored gospel. Thank you. 
The next question I have is, how has your experience been with home church? And has your understanding of the sacrament developed as we have not been able to worship in church? Well, I'll have two things to say about that. First of all, all of our children, uh, we have seven children and 26 grandchildren, and we have had uh, the great blessing of a weekly family meeting every Sunday morning. We meet at 11 a.m. on Zoom, and it has been fabulous. Uh, we have never done that before because of the schedules, different schedules in church. But now we've had that opportunity, and it's just been amazing. Uh, we've held testimony meeting on Fast and Testimony Sunday. We've had talks. We've had scriptures and primary songs and singing together. It's just been glorious. So from that standpoint, it's uh, just been an amazing blessing in our family and our lives. The other thing I would say about the sacrament is that Sue and I are alone together in this house. We live in Heber City, and we've essentially been on pretty severe lockdown because I had a kidney transplant nine years ago. And so my immune system my immune system is suppressed, and so I'm really at risk. So I have to be really careful, which is why I'm here and not there. But in that, that sense, we've been able to have the sacrament at home together. And that has been a sweet, sweet experience. I miss being in church. I miss the association. I miss the spirit that you feel in singing the hymns and partaking of the sacrament all together with people that you love. But it has been an amazing experience to administer the sacrament here in our home and to partake of it simply the two of us and to feel the same feelings, the same power, the same joy and gratitude that we have for the Lord. So it's been a fabulous experience. I appreciate that. So the next question I have says, Elder Clark, what are your personal thoughts on social equity and multiculturalism as it relates to church education? Well, let me give you a personal take on that. Um, when I was called to, be, uh, to go to BYU-Idaho, um, I had, had soon I'd lived in Boston for 34 years. Um, Boston is a very diverse community. Uh, there's, you know, there's all sorts of cultures there. And we enjoyed living there and had lots of different kinds of friends. It was really a great place. When we were called to go to Rexburg, um, I really, I had a really powerful experience one day. I had this impression come to me that, uh, there were, at that point and in the future, there would be literally tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of children all across the earth who would be in primary, who would be in their homes and who would make sacred covenants with the Lord and who would keep them. And my feeling, the impression was the Lord desired to bless his children everywhere in all lands 
in all cultures everywhere. And the gospel would go everywhere. And it was our responsibility at that point at BYU-Idaho to do things to take education, faith-based, high-quality, accessible education to children everywhere in the earth. And so, that's what we set out to do. And uh, we created, over time, we created the Pathway Program, which is now being run through a BYU Pathway and with support of BYU-Idaho continuing and are reaching literally tens of thousands of people all across the earth. BYU Pathway is now in over 100 countries and in, and in hundreds of sites, and it will continue to grow and spread. And the Lord will bless his children with education wherever they are. And, and what we see today is not what will be in the future. It will be even greater. In fact, I had a feeling come to me when I was at BYU-Idaho that if the pioneers who had founded Rick's College were to see BYU-Idaho today, they would be astonished at its quality and scale and power. And the impression was, in a coming day, the people of that day will say the same thing about us. Oh, if all only those people in, in 2005 or 2015 could see church education now, they would be astonished at what's happened. And so my answer to that question is yes. Education, just like the gospel of Jesus Christ, is for all of God's children. Thank you for that answer. So the next question I have, this one's okay. As an emeritus general authority and former university president, what do you now know about the principle of administration that you wish you had known when you actively served in those roles? <laughs> uh, how much time do you have, Scott? <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. That's why I paused when I started to read it. I went like, oh my. Um, well, let me tell you a couple of things. First of all, the things that I've learned are really about leadership. And um, I have taken on the task of writing a book about leadership based on my experiences and a lot of things I've learned. And as I look back on, you know, what did I wish I had known, there's a, a kind of paradox that I have come to appreciate deeply. And that is that um, I have learned that the better disciple of Christ you become, the better leader you will be. And I didn't understand that when I started down this journey of, of leadership. It, and I had, I had glimmers of it, but now I really see it. And I lived it. And I, I, because what I, when I would make mistakes or I would get into trouble, I would turn to the Lord, I'd turn to the scripture, and I would find answers. And there they were. They were already there. Uh, and the Lord just taught me that, uh, well, they're there. You just have to go find them. 
You know, so we all know, for example, that the 121st section of the Doctrine and Covenants has a beautiful set of verses about how the uh, power of the priesthood is to be used and deployed. Well, it turns out that those principles are really applicable everywhere. They're actually quite deep. If you really dig into them, they're deep. And so that's what I've learned. I think that's probably the most important thing I've learned is that, you know, we are so blessed in the church and in God's kingdom because we, he's just set up a marvelous, uh, a marvelous framework that if we will live it, we will become better leaders. That's what I've learned. I've always found interesting that when we have some who don't believe Joseph Smith was a prophet, and when you look at the writings in the Doctrine and Covenants that could be written in some of the great leadership books or some of the great business books, and think that you know, the, the, the brilliance that's expressed there is, is certainly divine and not from just Joseph Smith. Here's your last question. Um, how can we help our children and others understand the work or diligence it takes to seek Christ and do so in an encouraging way? Sometimes I think the rising generation feels like finding Christ should happen more easily. I'll tell you um, a couple of things I believe really strongly. The first part of the answer to that question, which is a really great question, but is we have to teach our children that they will find the Savior, they will uh, have that kind of faith and testimony only if they seek personal, private, spiritual experiences. So it's important to go to church. It's important to be in classes. It's important to be in the home evening. But you need to be by yourself, and you need to seek him in prayer and in the scriptures on your own. And I think the very best way to teach our children that is to do it ourselves and then to share our experiences with them. For example, I shared today something, some of, and I've got lots more of personal experiences that were private, that were intense, that only came about because of searching and seeking. And they're hard. And you have to share them with your children. Teach them not just by sh teaching them the principles, but show them through your own faith and your own experiences what that process is like. And that's a really important thing. And then you need to do it with a smile and with joy in your heart because it's amazing. It's amazing what the Lord does to us. It's incredible what happens. It's just amazing. And we need to share that joy with our families and with our children and bear testimony to them. I've I've thought often, and I know President Nelson has talked about this in, in conference, that we don't bear our testimonies often enough to our own children. We don't give blessings enough to our own children. We don't, we don't do things with them that help them see the joy of the gospel in our lives. So with that, I would like to express my personal appreciation to you 
for the sacrifices that you have made to follow the gospel and to support the kingdom of God here on earth and, follow, and support the church and your, your uh, sacrifices that you've made to help us here at FAIR and to speak here at FAIR. Um, it's, it's a great message you gave. I love the message and I really appreciate you spending your time with us. Well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate the invitation and uh, to say how grateful I am for all the work that's going on. It's just amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much.